Hey, did you know this podcast has a Patreon? At patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries, you can support the podcast for as little as a dollar and get early access to episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me. Uh, patreon.com slash scarysundayscaries. Get out there and do it. Thanks. I will double tap on yeah, our character, Michael, like his glee of being like, check this out. I had like chainsaw <laughs> yeah. suits. And again, if he's the everyman character we personify with, the fact that he's like, this is awesome. Like, I want you to know <laughs> that like, we didn't have to do this. Like, we could have just had a bus that ran through people, but like, no, I made like shoots because, because it's going to be fun like to do this. Like, she that's calls him out on it. Yeah. She, that's... Anna's like, what's wrong with you? She's like, why is this fun? <laughs> Sunday scaries. So I remember I was like in bed at night and I like woke up and I just heard this like, <laughs> like multiple times. I was like, I hope that's not a water pipe bursting. And it's because it's only like 31 degrees. Like it wasn't that cold. Uh, but like woke up and like there's just like all these down limbs everywhere and our power was out. And like like over half the city lost power, like 200,000 people. That's in crazy. Like city of Austin. And then of course the surrounding areas. Uh, and it like took him a while to like because it froze again the next night which is like all these trees like our tree in our house right here uh, the running a house and like it has this big tree in the front and like every limb's gone um and so it just took a while uh to like get the power because they had to like go and like redo power lines like one by one yeah across the city because we experienced you know some of that up here but it wasn't nearly as bad yeah i guess we got lucky as far as nothing infrastructure wise getting knocked out so we were just kind of stuck inside i was telling daniel when we were uh, we had a call earlier this week to record something else and um being stuck inside in the middle of like an ice storm felt uh, like an oddly prescient way to be an mood uh, environment to be watching zombie movies in because we were uh we were all trapped indoors for a couple of days you know experiencing a lot of cabin fever uh so it was like I said, it was it, it had it had an effect. I feel like, um, yeah. Cool. No, I will point out that was like uh, I was thinking that even because I, I so I watched the Dawn of the Dead, the the remake that we're talking about. Uh, yes. I finished it today this morning, and I was like, "There's no way they'd have power in that mall." That <laughs> it becomes like, a key be plot point. Thing to go. Yeah, I was like, right. I, "I'm an expert in this. Like that wouldn't happen." Uh, hey, welcome to Sunday Scaries. It's a podcast about horror movies where each week we take the edge off by doing a deep dive into a specific scary movie, trying to find connections between that film and other movies within the genre. Uh, happy February and happy new series. Uh, we're kicking off a brand new run of episodes that will consist of three miniseries. Um, the first miniseries for the month of February will be focusing on some of our favorite zombie movies. Uh, I'm Travis. I'm hanging out with Daniel out there in the West Coast. What's up, everyone? I'm in... Uh, I'm. I'm Scary Sunday Scaries West. <laughs> <laughs> Our Western branch. And today we have Jordan joining us from Austin. What's up, Jordan? Hey, guys. Jordan is another uh, fantastic set of file who uh, we know from our uh, hanging around in the DFW area, but now we're all spread out all over the place, so we're joining each other remotely to talk about the 2004 remake of a classic Romero film. Let's see if we can get this synced up. What do we watch? Dawn, Dawn of, of the, the Dead. Dead. <laughs> Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> Look up the road, there's a lot more of them. Why are they coming here? Maybe they're coming for us. Sooner or later, they're gonna get in here. Our baby's gonna be fine. It's only a matter of time. It's coming. 
They'll find a way in. Uh, but yeah, a nurse, a policeman, and a young married uh, a young married couple, a salesman, and other survivors of a worldwide plague that is producing aggressive flesh-eating zombies take refuge in a mega Midwestern shopping mall. Um, th- was this y'all's? I assume this wasn't y'all's first time seeing the 2004 remake. Barely. Barely? What was your first experience <laughs> I, I, watching I vaguely, it? I vaguely remember watching it, I assume, on like DVD in like 2006 or so. Uh, I don't think I saw it in theaters, but I definitely remember like just like maybe like late night at like a friend's house, like it, it got put on. Uh, and I, I I more distinctly remember the marketing of it for some yeah. reason. At, in, was, I was in high school in 2004, and I remember the like the, the making a big deal about the zombie baby. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and it's just like it's just like the film like George C. Romero couldn't handle. Like it was just like it was good, like it was supposed to be the most insane <laughs> thing ever. I remember marketing about it. And just people talking about that zombie baby, like, and thinking that was going to be, like, a crucial, like, the biggest point of the film for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and, and then even so, then I watched half of it yesterday and the other half this morning. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of like this little throwaway part of the movie. It's uh, weird. It it's like it becomes this central element of the movie because once you see it and once you know about that it is kind of a a focal point that's hard to avoid thinking about whenever you're talking in shorthand about dawn of the dead uh daniel i assume you had a similar experience watching this when we were youngins or uh did you watch Uh, it only recently no yeah yeah. i i had a kind of a similar experience to jordan's um but my buddies and i were like blockbuster raiders we just go in and like I found out that you didn't have to have an ID to rent R-rated movies <laughs> at Blockbusters. So, like, I would go out. And, then you know, at a point, they were, like, $2 rentals for one night. I'm like, I can get eight movies and then just Fuck watch. Yeah. I'll have, like, 24 hours to watch eight movies, and it'll be perfect. This was one of those movies. My friends and I were suckers for marketing material. We'd watch, like, anything with, like, a gun and zombies. Um, and this was probably one of the ones that was, like, that rose above all the other stuff they had. But this was maybe my one of my earliest like blockbuster memories is like renting this and then watching it on my TV, like putting the disc into my PlayStation 2, using the controller to like press play, and then watching the DVD on my like small screen inside my bedroom after my parents went to sleep. Yeah. And I I do recall it was such a novel idea to me. I had no idea it was based off anything previously, you know, and this movie just goes so hard. There's so much like violence and action that like of course like a thirteen year old boy loves it. Like I, yeah. that was it was made for me, um. But for some reason, the like the sex scene like stuck in my head. I was like, <laughs> "What is going on? Why is that a thing?" Like, I it was so confusing. And it, as soon as you mentioned this movie, I thought of that, and I was like, "What's wrong with me? Like, why is this the first thing I think of?" <laughs> the sex scene between Ty Burrell and the uh, the blonde actor. Uh, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. There's an earlier sex scene as well that's a little bit more sensual, uh, but we'll we'll get into it here in a second. Uh, Yeah, you guys both talk about the um, the marketing campaign for this movie, which is which is crazy. Like I remember watching this too whenever I was like, you know, we would have been about 12 years old. Um, And back then, this was definitely we've talked about this a few times about you know the 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 cash of movies that you would get from the, the the movie store from Blockbuster, and then go you know play the play a game of chicken with your friends upstairs and try to watch the scariest movie you can. And this was for me a very very formative movie um, as far as scary movies goes, uh, as far as zombie movies goes, because this was the first one that I remember being viscerally shook by. 
um, not only because of all the awesome action and violence uh, and gore, but also sort of the the ending of this movie, um, the hopelessness and nihilism of it was one that left me really feeling really bummed out. I remember as a kid uh, dealing with my own existential crisis, maybe for the first time. Um, yeah, you guys talked about the marketing for this. So uh, that was one of the funnest things about this movie that uh, I, re- I recalled as I was like reading some stuff about it in preparation for this uh, was the idea that the week before this movie came out, they aired the first 10 minutes of it uh, on cable TV as a promotional campaign for it, which in 2004, uh-huh. man, sounds like a what a fucking event to to be uh, to be seeing. Uh, Imagining Which is that funny opening to me because like five, six, five or six of those minutes is very mundane. Like it's like yeah. a very like what is nothing interesting is happening. Like it's just a day in the life kind of thing. Yeah, uh, there. But there's there's an art form to the opening of zombie movies, and I think this one definitely falls into uh, the category of renowned and sort of infamous uh, opening sequences, along with a lot of the other zombie films. Because you're kicking off an apocalypse, and so it's like there's always something really special about that. You know, the entire process of doing that um, that I think is really fascinating. And man, the opening of this movie fucks, uh, and it's it's awesome. Um, I was actually I thought that was one of the strongest parts of it uh i'm also gonna throw a little wrench in here i feel like i don't i can't help to do this uh, you guys might be the same way but any watching of this and discussing of it i feel like i'm just instantly going to last of us which is oh, yeah. airing right now. we'll get there don't worry absolutely yeah. well like the whole episode just set up one thing and then our guy zach snyder does it in like yeah like 12 minutes uh Almost just as well. I I was actually pretty pretty impressed with it. And honestly, that would be a great thing to watch on TV. I think it would translate oh, pretty yeah. well. Uh, I I was thinking about this too when I watched this. This is like the perfect kind of movie that sci-fi would that sci-fi channel because every weekend they would just like put horror like B horror movies whatever they could get their hands on on rotation like twenty four seven. So from Friday night until like Sunday afternoon, you were just getting like ice spiders and like weird like crazy eight legged freaks. And I'm pretty sure Dawn of the Dead would be like a primetime spot, like the nine o'clock slot. You know, you you and your buddies like all sit down at the TV and you're like channel surfing and you sit and you just watch like whatever you can of this movie. Yeah, I do, man. The Sci-Fi Channel brings back so many nostalgic memories. I grew up; that was my bread and butter as a kid too. I remember uh, Wolf Soldiers was one that I saw on there, uh, along with like a whole host of other poorly CGI'd, you know, sci-fi originals that were all just like it was like candy. They were all the, the great, you know, mid two thousands B movies that I think you'd be hard pressed to even locate at this point. Um, but yeah, we were talking. Uh, Jordan, you briefly mentioned watching the original Dawn of the Dead, the nineteen seventy eight version uh, made by George Romero. Um, I did that too. I watched a couple of in preparation for this. I watched that one. I rewatched. I watched Night of the Living Dead in uh, color. Uh, Tubi has like a color version of it, or Amazon does one of them, um, which was really weird. Seeing them try to paint on stuff onto that black and white footage, uh, and then I watched Army of Dar- Army of the Dead again, um, just because we had to put a nice little Zack Snyder sandwich on the week. Um, and that was a that was a joyous experience as well. Uh, but the the original Dawn of the Dead that was my first time seeing it. Uh, I hadn't watched Romero's original. Um, I don't think ever. I've seen uh, Night of the Living Dead several times by this point. Um, but the Dawn of the Dead, I was so pleased by how much you can see um, Argento in that movie. Um, and I didn't learn. Yeah, I learned in my watching of that that he was actually a producer on that movie with George Romero. And it, I feel like it comes through so much not only in um, goblin doing the original score um but uh in like the palette of the movie it's very focused on these like very punchy primary colors uh and there's like a there's like a a, a sort of 
uh, cartoonishness, obviously, to the blood and the gore, and it all looks like, you know, Suspiria or Deep Red or something. Um, did you have the same joy watching it this time, Jordan, as a, your first time seeing it? Uh, well, so I had, I had seen Dawn of the Dead, the original, before. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually took a class. I don't think it's specifically a zombie class in film school, but we we definitely went through, like, film history, and we watched a few zombie films, I remember, uh, including, uh, yeah, Night of the Living Dead and then Dawn of the Dead. I think maybe a couple more. Um, so I had seen it um, previously from an academic standpoint, uh, uh, which is really fun. But uh, this was kind of like a re- rehash of it. And it's kind of nice because like you had to like, I don't know, like in film school, you had to like kind of like, they kind of like lead you towards like, just like, eh, see, like this is what we were talking about, right. like this chapter or whatever. Uh, so this was kind of more fun to just kind of watch it just for the fun of it. Uh, but your point about the colors, that definitely stood out to me, uh, specifically just like the the costuming and like the makeup for the zombies and just how we like we kind of decided on what like zombies <laughs> look like. Later. Um, and that it's just it seems like buffoonery and like it's almost like a, a parody of what zombies might look like of itself almost. Yeah, because back then they're just literally slapping, you know, just pasty white makeup on everybody. And that's just code for this is a ghoul now. This is a zombie. It's almost even like in the in the black and white version, you know, in the black and white and Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like it works better when you're just seeing like arms jump, you know, burst through the, uh, you know, the, the paneling on the walls yeah. or that little girl with her eyes all blacked out before she murders her mom with a, you know, a, a shovel. Um, this. Yeah. The you rewatching. You watched the. You said you watched the color version, the colorized version of that? Yeah, I watched the colorized version of Night of the Living Dead just out of macabre curiosity because I wanted to see how it worked, and it doesn't work very well. Um, uh, because well, how, how did the zombies look? How did the looked, coloring of the zombies look? They looked the kind of similar to the zombies in uh, Dawn of the Dead, where they were essentially just like bluish gray, um, you know, ghouls, uh, and it it's fine it was the, the weird thing about the coloring which what happens with those black and white movies when it's done poorly is you know the, the color is constantly moving around a little bit and because there's also the additional thing of like i don't know if they were like rotoscoping like around their eyes and stuff but you know you'll get these brief flashes of the underside of someone's eyelid being in gray while the rest of them is like you know colored a peach color and then they they end up looking like ghouls themselves because of the weird effects that are being put on them um here's a Here's like a really crazy just to go like down this rabbit hole uh-huh. is I saw some clips of AI technology like uh, analyzing and changing a certain like performance mount like their performance mounts oh right so that their lips could match different audio syncs and I was just thinking the way you said that I was like you know I bet AI technology not even that far away could probably like properly colorize and rotoscope like an entire old film oh yeah and I'm like sure. maintain the standard of quality from the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would think that there's probably a better process for it now, and it's just the version I watched was clearly like a cheap copy of that or a cheap attempt at it. Um, yeah, better than what Tubi did to colorize it for modern yeah. audiences. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that original too, like you said, Jordan, it's not just the costuming and the colors that kind of give it that comedic quality. There is a lot of like obviously like black humor in the original one, and you talked about watching that for film school. The, you know, and I'm sure when you're watching that for a class, they're beating you over the head with the, you know, the allegory of this is this is Romero's take on American consumerism. And it's, you know, look, all these zombies are representing, you know, the uh, the idea of a horde of mindless consumers, you know, breaking into the shopping mall. Um, and then even sort of the 
um, the the role of the survivors themselves in the mall sort of taking over the, the the role of consumer and then indulging in their wildest fantasies of getting to you know extreme shop you know to their heart's content um, it's interesting because it's not as that theme isn't really carried over into this 2004 version really is it um, this one's much more about at least James Gunn thinks it's about you know redemption uh, but we can get to that uh, here more in a little bit um, well, that's kind of what the producers wanted. They knew if they were going to go after something as big as Dawn of the Dead, like the original, they really needed to like divert. And I read mm -hmm. that like Zack Snyder, you know, the stakes were the highest they could have been for him, who's a commercial director, his first feature film, and he agreed to do it because he had to care so much. He was saying like, you know, this is you can't just like remake the goat. Like you have to make your own. And so he wanted that kind of like that sense that like I can't mess this up. And so that's like part of the reason it just is like. They're tonally very different, and uh, even just, like, the basic plot's there, but clearly, like, Gunn and Snyder are both, like, they're changing, they're shaking some things up. Yeah, you could tell uh, when he when Zack Snyder talks about this, how attracted he was, he said, to the tone of the movie. You know, it's a combination of getting to do all of these Easter eggs and these homages and everything, um, along with something that's very, like, much more real, but then also, like, it's grounded in reality, but you can also just jam it packed full of action and everything, which would come to be, you know, Snyder's kind of signature trademark. Um, this is something that I was really excited to talk to you about, Jordan, because I wanted to get, what's your, what are your feelings about Zack Snyder, sort of, from a... a bird's eye view uh in general uh fair <laughs> enough and i i mean this is also to say I, I do want to mention that jordan uh is uh, are you an editor or are you just the, the owner of the um ultimate action movies uh I, i'm sorry i forget your role in relationship yeah or uh a co-founder and the the managing editor of the ultimate action movie club which is uh similar to what daniel was talking about and daniel's been an awesome contributor uh, and the resident Fast and Furious expert on the Ultimate Action Movies Club website. Fast 10 is yeah, coming out. Um, I have words. <laughs> but we just to like say that, that Jordan <laughs> is an authority on action, and uh, he has probably... A, I want, I'm very fascinated to hear what your opinion on uh, Zack Snyder's career is. Um, well, so he falls into... So, like, the Ultimate Action Movie Club, that was similar to what Daniel was talking about, was growing up and going to Blockbuster, and when they were going from VHS to DVD, we had a group of friends in high school, and we would just go and, like grab they were like four for a dollar sometimes like just vhs and like specifically we were focused on like discovering to us in like 2004 to 2006 like uh we knew chuck norris from like walker texas ranger and like chuck norris facts but being like oh he was in this movie called hell or uh, uh lone wolf mcquade and kind of just being like what the heck is this like didn't know about it and like would go look him up later and we would watch all these movies but we were very focused on like late 80s early 90s because those were like the most just over the top they just seemed insane to us from like a 2000s like lens being like they just like there's no there's like canon films like at their all they're like speckled they're like uh, uh just craziness and just like we loved that and like kind of relearning that but like Zack Snyder would be he didn't really fall into that wheelhouse because he's like different and this was like a different era of film mm -hmm. and so, I don't know. It didn't quite have the like nostalgia. It just it kind of right. is like a blind spot to me in a lot of ways, and I don't feel like Zack Snyder does a lot of like what I'm interested in. So I don't usually like it. Doesn't come across my like newsfeed very much, to be honest. Um, that being said, like the last Army of the Dead, that actually kind of like crossed in because that was like such crossover success. Uh, so I kind of like being like, all right, fine, I got to see more about this. And like I remember when 300 came out, that was a big deal, and. 
would see his name popping up more and more to the point of being like, okay, I need to learn who he is. But I never really like felt like a, a strong connection to him as a director. Uh, so I was actually kind of curious to watch this from that lens, especially right. because it's like his first film. Uh, and like, I don't like, at least I'm in the dead, like, like that, like the shallow depth of field kind of like shots and like being like, and like the slow motion and stuff you see like in 300, you didn't see too much of that, but you could see some great direction. And I could see why I'm mean, like, okay, this, I can see why James Gunn is James Gunn. I can see why Zack Snyder is Zack Snyder in this. Um, and I, my instincts were, I would like it and it would be fun. And it definitely like <laughs> pulled enough of like ultimate action stuff where like, just like the shotguns blow people's heads off. Yeah. They never it was like they they mentioned the ammo once, but like they're just unlimited ammo. Yeah, uh, and I did enjoy that it, we didn't spend too much time like in like I don't know, the original one. Like there's such bad shots in that, and right, like, they're like they're like fumbling with guns and stuff. And like no, by now like our audiences, we just want them to be like, yeah, like kind of pocket and stuff. Um, so I was like, okay, that's all that all tracks and is enjoyable but yeah it's fun there's there is something about Zack Snyder being as I was going through you know some of his other movies I was trying to remember like if there's anything in his career that sticks out to me that I is it sort of just you know pred predictable for him um because yeah from the all the comic book movies right so he's like you know he became comes like the heir apparent to the DC universe for a, for a period of time um and then even before that I remember uh Watchmen being I, the you know teenager in me i was such a huge nerd for that one me and my friends got like the comic book and we loved it but it's so funny that he seems so engrossed in this like comic book world even before it was a thing um you know even trying to get 300 produced you know he's running around uh with this the script based on a comic book movie that he wants to film completely on a green screen um and he even goes and like pitches it to warner brothers and they're like well we already have our, our sandals and toga movie. We made Troy with a guy named Brad Pitt. And so we don't really want to buy another one of these. Um, but he does eventually get it made. And it kind of, that movie, I think even more so sort of creates his, his, you know, iconic style, which is, you know, ripped dudes doing, running around in slow motion and crazy action sequences, which is, it is, it's fun. It's like watching the Zack Snyder movie is like playing with action figures, like up in your room as, you know, as a young boy or something. And it's, it, there's something fun about that because there is sort of like a, a reckless abandon that comes along with not really having to invest too much in maybe the, uh, I don't know, like the philosophical attributes of cinema or something. He doesn't really seem concerned with that too much, which is, it's, it's kind of liberating in a way. Um, I well, don't know. And I think it's it's super interesting to me, even just like, I know, Jordan, you're what, maybe like two or three years? Because you said you were in high school in 2004. I think I started high school in 2007, so I was a freshman at like the very beginning. Like, I don't think I knew who Zack Snyder was until uh, 300, maybe. But right. I realized, too, the history of him. He was a commercial director, and it made me think of Michael Bay. And I'll say that because... Both of them are known for these kind of like people call them mindless action. You know, those I challenge you to make a movie as hard, as insane as Michael Bay or Zack Snyder, right? Like if it was so mindless, you do it. But mm -hmm. it, people kind of associate them with like more style and less substance. And I'm like, well, they started as commercial directors. It's like the same thing is levied against Michael Bay. It's like why are there always Victoria's Secret models in like all his movies? He shoots commercials <laughs> for Victoria's Secret. It's they're like. It's part of the contract, I guess. He gets them on loan. And so I always think, like, <laughs> Zack Snyder is is just uh, channeling that same energy. And that's part of the reason why he's into, like, we can do it on green screen, you know, because that saves companies money. 
And so he's not the first director to do it, but he's like, you know, so proud and vocal about it. And it, his aesthetic choices are strong. So, you know, like that's important to me is that like he's making strong choices, even if we as an audience don't always agree with them. Like I think Sucker Punch was my favorite film uh, as like a 15 or 16 year old. And in hindsight, looking at it now, I'm like, eh, it's our, like, it's, it's not my personal favorite anymore. Um, but I know I saw that thing in theaters like two or three times because it was just like, yeah, like, like Travis said, like you're like playing with action figures in your, in your, um, in your little room. But I love the feedback loop of it because like, you know, uh, even as I'm growing up, maybe I was a little delayed in my maturity, but like, you know, you're still playing with action figures and you're watching Zack Snyder films, which is like playing with action figures. You go back and play with your action figures. So it starts to feed back on itself. Um, and I truly, like, truly, you know, he's, he's, say what you will about him, but he is, he's done a lot of amazing, impressive things. So I really, I can't argue. I've heard he's a really nice guy. I knew a woman uh, who, was a po- who was a post-production audio assistant on some of Snyder's projects, especially, like, Justice League. She was in the studio with him, mixing audio and dialogue, and said he is, like, the nicest guy ever. He works really hard. Uh, I, you know, after all this stuff about the Snyder cut blew up, there were all these interviews with actors on Justice League who said, like, no, he really lets you play. Like, mm-hmm. he, and he respects the crew and admires them. Um, and I like, I cannot be mad at a director that like, you know, like really lets their, their crew and cast like work together and kind of like treats them as equals. I think he's probably a little manic. Like there's photos of him shooting <laughs> Army of the Dead with his like, yeah. and he's buff. The guy's like actually kind of ripped. If you yeah, look he at has, photos of well, him. I mean, he has like a lifelong obsession with fitness and stuff. Like he openly says that in lots of interviews, especially in the context of talking about, you know, 300. Uh, he's like, yeah, I like, I like big ripped dudes. I like to be a big buff dude. And it's kind of, I don't know. He hasn't, he's, he's just a, a living action figure. That really is what he is. But he is genial, it seems like. Yeah. But, but he's like a kid. He's just yeah. he's like a kid who gets to play with you know billions of dollars worth of movies. Yeah, um, it, uh, yeah. I will say that comes across in his films, especially. I think that was this because I was like, I want to see his first film. I, mm-hmm. I don't really, I didn't watch it knowing I was watching a Zack Snyder film in two thousand four or five. Uh, but like, he has a very, he exercises a very stylistic control, and you see that like where you're talking about that first ten minutes. I was like, okay, this is like. The shot selection's great. The lensing, the framing, like we get like the close-ups of her foot, like touching down the carpet from the, the cold like a bathtub there. She's like safe, and then we get like the overhead shot in the house. They like clearly a great setup and stuff, and the set pieces are just driving around. And then I can see why Michael Bay or also him would want to do the green screen because they could just like control literally everything. Yeah, and like you could see every CGI ab and all its glistening glory and stuff. But uh, um, I haven't seen all the the new superhero stuff. I feel like that gets a little over the top at a certain level. But this was like just pure great filmmaking, uh, start to finish, and it was very enjoyable. I'll say that. 100%. Yeah. It- and the other thing that I want to get at, too, is, like, it comes in this time. Uh, so we're going to do a couple of zombie movies in a row here. And one thing that I'm, like, really interested in is obviously the evolution of this sort of subgenre of horror, right? Um, 
now you mentioned Last of Us earlier, like which is a, sort of the, the latest installment in what has been, you know, the, the serialization of the the zombie subgenre, um, where that and things like Walking Dead have become essentially, you know, their their dramas within the context of a of zombie apocalypse or a post apocalyptic world. And uh, even Last of Us, you know, coming out in like the original plot of the video game coming out in like 2013 was already sort of steeped in the existing, you know, very very popular subgenre of, of zombie you know dramas and comedies and thrillers um but there is this turning point from you know after the 80s and 90s that sort of seems to occur here in the early 2000s with the release of uh, 28 days later um and dawn of the dead where you know this is the first time we get fast zombies right we get these zombies that are no longer lumbering around like they were in the night in george romero's 1978 dawn of the dead or night of the living dead um they're genuine threats that are absolutely fucking terrifying um and i think that innovation you know by james gunn and by george uh, and by Zack snyder was something that kind of like it obviously revitalized the genre and gave us something that was fucking scary uh that i kind of love um do you have like when you watch those old horror the like the night of the living dead or return of the living dead i don't know how often like you've gone back to those but like you said is there something to be said about like how how comedic it was that these could even be scary at that time like the idea that you have this like snail chasing you around infinitely but somehow it's supposed to be a threat like he's he's been using this snail thing for (laughs) multiple episodes the snail is i i i can't stop talking we can't stop talking about a snail like zombie snail specifically a zombie snail, yes, exactly. A zombie snail, oh, an yeah. undead one uh, that I can't will never think die. Anything scarier than a slow-moving <laughs> zombie snail force that you yeah, could like put up like half a wall between you and it, and it's just like you're safe and you can like take a nap or something or whatever they do in the films. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a reoccurring theme on our podcast that there is a there is a snail out there. I'm sure of it now that has been hunting me down. Um, as far as the um, pre-production for this goes, yeah, like we said, James Gunn comes up with the script and Zack Snyder's approach to direct it um, with the blessing of uh, George Romero, who also gets, obviously, the writing credit on there. Um, this is uh, kind of released in the same year also as Shaun of the Dead, which I think is really funny to me. Uh, they had put off the release of this movie. Uh, they had put off the release of Shaun of the Dead, uh, asking that it not be released in the UK until... Um, Dawn of the Dead is released, which is also hilarious to me because I didn't realize how sort of contemporary that zombie parody movie was with uh, Dawn of the Dead and 28 Days Later. Um, it's crazy that this all happened sort of within the span of two or three years, uh, the parody of the, the horror movie itself. Yeah, that's fast. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, let's talk about some of the scenes in this movie because there's some awesome stuff that happens here. Uh, so yeah, we we already mentioned up top uh, the opening, right? There are um, the opening scene of this movie is, is iconic, uh, and like like we mentioned before, this was a super formative movie. Um, the uh, the escape by Toyota Toyota Corolla too, with the uh, the camera that's like hooked up to the back of this car um, was hilarious to me. I love the like overhead shots of that giant truck coming and busting into a gas station as it goes up in flames. Uh, absolutely hilarious. Uh, and then, of course, we get uh, our iconic uh, needle drops from uh, from Zack Snyder, which will become kind of also emblematic of his style. Uh, style. We get a Johnny Cash song uh, over the opening credits. Um, but I do want to backtrack for a second there. The uh, So this is zombie girl in this opening, right? Vivian. Uh, this is, I swear to God, I remember watching this for the first time, you know, as a teenage boy. And this moment absolutely fucking terrifying me. Uh, it's that moment that's in the trailer, too, where she's like down the hall. 
and they've like pushed her off after she attacks Louise Lewis, her like husband initially, and as she jumps up from all fours into like attack position and then sprints towards the door again. That's bread and butter, just zombie greatness right there. It's so fucking good. There's something about it that says like James Gunn too. Like we're gonna get a lot more we're gonna get weirder as the movie goes on. But I get this feeling like James Gunn is just teeing up. He's like, oh yeah, like we're gonna, yeah, it's gonna get weird. Uh, as someone who like discovered trauma later in life, like knowing James Gunn's like connection with the trauma verse uh, and like his influences on it, I, it's hard not to like be picking those out whenever you be like, oh yeah, trauma. Like I know what that is now, and kind of like some of the overtop gore we get in there. But uh, I, I don't know. From the Last of Us angle, there was nothing <laughs> in the first twenty minutes of this movie. I think we just put it into the last of us and said this is the last of us that everyone because like last of us is getting like universal claim right now and it's like the ultimate it's part of the zeitgeist everyone's loving it but if you put any of this first 20 minutes into last of us i think everyone would be just as uh blown away by it today like it, it was great zombie filmmaking uh yeah that, that girl was terrifying the action the, the stakes were raised so quickly and so well um i imagine that was like so tight like tightly storyboarded shot for shot and just yeah that just like flipped through and then really earned opening title credits with the the Johnny Cash song and yeah from there on I was like this is uh I would trust this guy to helm whatever superhero stuff even if it's not quite my cup of tea but because yeah, there's also something really like good. the the, the hyper stylization does come out like right at the very beginning too. Um, not only in just the way things are blocked and not, like you said, you know, there's clear storyboarding going on here because every shot appears iconic. Um, even like, you know, we get a little bit of a Jack Torrance moment with her husband zombified jump bursting through the door. Um, and then he she barely manages to get away out through her, her bathroom window. Um, she jumps in her Toyota Corolla and then she's almost uh, after almost being shot by her neighbor who gets plowed into by a fucking like milk truck or something. Um, but it's also the saturation of this movie um, which for better or for worse would also kind of become a feature of Zack Snyder's movies is this color palette right um, all of the greens are hyper saturated but everything is green like everything is it has just has that that tint over it um, of that blue green sickly you know sort of filter that imbues everything with this sort of like it, it kind of became like it seems like the visual shorthand for uh, you know intensity and like realness but it also just kind of makes everything look sort of ghoulish and, and weird too at the same time um it seemed like the color palette of the time mm -hmm. like even like michael bay films True. or like it the rock you know and i don't know daniel like i don't know i assume it was shot digital but like it looked at times it looked kind of poor like when they're on the like the, the oh like right the kill dozer <laughs> later uh, and they like they go outside and i was like are they shooting this on like a camcorder like i i didn't understand i think it's just they're grading it's so blue and uh yeah, but like it's a very specific and like yeah. it's not like the teal look that everyone kind of looks like they're like glistering like a little goldish kind of. Uh, but I don't I don't even know if that was like just his decisions per se or just like that's what everyone wants to see in 2004, I'd assume. You're right. I guess there is something about that era too because I remember when we talked about Gothica, for instance, uh, another movie that's just like pumped full of blues and greens, uh, everything overlaid. I guess that comes from maybe, you know, the Wachowskis doing the, you know, the Matrix movies as well, um, where for them, it was a cool stylistic decision mm -hmm. to put everything, you know, that's in a computer to be greenish and stuff. Um, but that kind of seems to just roll over into the two early 2000s and sort of permeate all of these, uh, these movies. Um, well, and this is like such an interesting point, too, is it's kind of 
this is interesting. The lighting itself kind of points more towards action horror. Because, like, like, you made a great point, Jordan, about, mm-hmm. like, the coloring being kind of off. I felt the same way. Um, and you see it a lot in, like, larger landscapes. Like, if we're just looking at people talking, it, it tends to mm-hmm. feel a little more muted. You're not seeing the effects of it. But he has that in, like, in outdoor scenes, especially in, like, larger pieces. You'll see, like, some of the, the like, whites, like, blown out a little bit. And you're kind of confused. You're like, why would, why would we even have blown out, like, coloring in, like, a major motion picture? Like, it's just not something <laughs> audiences expect. So it has to be a stylistic choice. Otherwise, like, why do it? And I think some of that is matching the idea. There's, like, some, like, they kick it off with a montage of found footage. There's, you know, some shaky cam. There's a little bit of, like, this movie isn't perfect. It's not, you know, studio grade. We, you know, we colored it to look perfect. But there's no shadow. Like, there's just not as much shadow in this entire movie. And it's not that the film isn't interested in, like, hiding things from us it's more that they like snyder's direction is more about tension than it is about hiding like misdirecting people so we know what to expect uh even like in the first 10 minutes right when like there are multiple fake outs where we think like oh this is where the zombie comes from or like this is the zombie or, like you know what i mean so i think too that there's like an action um feeling to that because you have to create tension tension with blocking instead of mm-hmm. instead of using lighting and uses you know blocking and camera work to kind of create this like you know the a drop of blood falls and then we're like oh my god what's gonna happen next so it and that's like snyder's you know forte he does he has his motion ramping but he does he has these like insane like cuts that kind of like set up all these different emotional beats all through editing that actors kind of like work through and I love that, but I also am like, yeah, that, that the coloring's a bold choice, but I think it's like one of those more like actiony like decisions um, right. because so much of the horror is not about like what's lurking in the shadows; it's about like what's gonna happen next, like who's gonna go, who's gonna, you know, get killed, who's gonna run out of bullets, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of was reassured by that. I definitely, I would definitely say it was an action zombie movie more than a horror zombie movie. Uh, and, I, and they, yeah, it kind of you can just rest your brain, being like, oh, okay, I don't have to worry about they're in a mall, but like they're safe there, or like we're not gonna spend time like crossing every corner and stuff. Like, no, they're just like loading up guns and getting to the next thing and the next thing and just kicking ass. Yeah, great, great choice. Yeah, there there is a security in that mall, um, and they get to it pretty quickly, right? Like we introduce at least the first half of our cast of characters um, pretty quickly after Anna survives her car wreck. Um, we meet Michael, uh, played uh, by by Jake Weber, uh, Kenneth, played by Ving Rhames, and Andre and Luda, played by uh, Mecky Pfeiffer, uh, and I forget the name, uh, Ina Korob Korob King Korobkina. Uh, I'm gonna butcher her last name. All right, we're never saying that again. Um, they uh, they all kind of like coalesce uh, around this little sewerage ditch. Uh, there's a, you know the, the classic brief ex- you know Mexican holdup thing, uh, Mexican standoff that goes on, um, but everybody bands together and then they go to the Crossroads Mall here in Milwaukee. Um, I'm kind of bummed that we don't have our resident Wisconsinite for this episode because uh, this whole thing takes place in uh, downtown Milwaukee, which is kind of hilarious to me. Our uh, uh, our other host Tyler is like he 
he's a, from Wisconsin, but he's also a medical professional, and it is my number one favorite thing to do is just ask him, like, <laughs> how realistic or, like, what would actually happen if you were, like, you know, if someone <laughs> shot you in the head with a shotgun or... Or if you're pregnant and yes. you get bitten by a zombie <laughs> and they don't even, like, explain yeah. much about it. Like, how is that? Yeah, I do want to unravel yeah. the mystery of that here in a yeah, minute. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, so, yeah, like we yeah. said, Anna survives her car accident and they want and uh, wanders with Michael down a drainage ditch where she encounters being Rames playing Kenneth, uh, Andre and Luda are there as well. Luda is pregnant. Uh, the crew relocates to the local mall where they begin exploring. Um, so right off the bat, Michael encounters a bald zombie feasting on the remains of a dead person. He proceeds to kill the zombie with a croquet mallet. Um, and by the mall fountain, Kenneth and Andre are attacked by another zombie, which they manage to subdue before, uh, but not before Luda is bitten. Um, so that current group runs up to the second floor where they encounter CJ, uh, played by Michael Kelly, um, and the two other security guards with him who hold them up with guns. Um, Michael Kelly was great. He's so great. I love great. Michael Kelly. <laughs> My first experience of him uh, was in House of Cards back when he played Doug, right? Um, the most terrifying yeah, assistant yeah. that anybody could ever have. Um, but he plays this great. I think they're he called AIDS. Aid? Oh, yeah. Uh, I love that Michael Kelly is an actor you see in like a lot of movies. When you start to like comb his IMDb, you're like, "Holy shit, he's in!" Like he could be in We Bought a Zoo, and you wouldn't know. <laughs> but he didn't really stand. Like we didn't know who Michael Kelly the guy was until this like role of Doug Stamper came around. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, I was like, like then you go back and you watch older movies, and you're like, "Holy shit, that's Michael Kelly!" Is like just like one of my favorite little like Michael Kelly verse kind of things. <laughs> I wonder if he or his agent was like. You're an action star. Like we, we look at you on the screen here. You're kind of buffed up. Like you're look great holding a gun. Like very believable and like kind of like a commanding screen presence of like authority and like probably like the closest thing to a bad guy at least for the first half of the movie. Uh, and then they're like suddenly like, no, he's good. Yeah, um, he just makes a quick flip over like, and that's the maybe that's the whole redemption arc that James Gunn is trying to you know force in here too. Is uh his arc is less redemptive though than it is just a complete character yeah, flip. Forced in's a good on. word for that, but I'm happy with it. He played both sides well of it, but yeah, I was like, I could watch him try leading a full action movie, and I don't know if he had ever gotten that chance. See, Unbreakable, Carlito's Way. Yeah, yeah maybe not. Yeah, he does play, like, especially later on, right, when he's, like, I mean, he's the wizard of propane tanks. He managed to to knock out a few of them before the end of the movie, and he looks good going out with it. Um, yeah. But like you said, there, uh, as far as the villains go, that is kind of something else that really distinguishes this movie from the original. Um, the idea that, like, the original has at least an element of dealing with, you know, the opposing forces of good and evil, um, where... The 1978 uh, Dawn of the Dead has, you know, our group of survivors that are trapped within the mall and much kind of basically in the same situation. Um, But periodically, you know, they're beset by anarchists and raiders who were coming at them, you know, from outside the mall. Um, Famously, Tom Savini playing, you know, one of the leaders of these like raiding parties. Um, And so they're Romero sort of posits or positions, you know, these two opposing forces of the human condition, you know, some of them anarchic and rampant and and violent. And then you have the survivors who were only committing acts of violence, you know, through self-preservation and bare necessity. Um, Whereas in this one, the whole, yeah, the dynamic between the security guards and um, the other survivors kind of wears off pretty quickly. And it's basically just the survivors against the zombies uh, for the most part. Um, But that gets set up pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, in that sequence, uh, as they all will sort of, like, get to know each other and everything. Um, yeah, so they, like, meet these security guards, because they, like, they're running away from zombies. They go up on the elevator to the next floor, and the first thing they see is, like, a gun in their face. And it's, you know, Michael Kelly, who's this, like, 
He's got the sideburns and the black hair. He's kind of it's kind of like country rednecky vibes. And his two subordinates, like one who's you know sycophantic and the other who's just like the new guy. And there's a big standoff until finally they like talk their way into being accepted. And I love that they get they like when they when Michael Kelly's character CJ is like fine, fuck it, like you guys can stay, but you have to be like in prison. We have to put you in in like a uh, care they take them to a store i this is the crazy thing about shopping malls is i don't remember you know like malls have changed a lot over the years now yeah but like way back in the day you'd have like your like sharper image with like a nice mattress so it's that's like one of my favorite ideas the whole idea of this movie is like having it in a shopping mall is like yeah technically you would have everything you'd need to survive. Yeah. Like, it's like saying you want to live in an Ikea. You're like, yeah, I have mm-hmm. every piece of furniture. They made more of a meal of that in the original of being like, you get to go store by store. Like, you get to, like, it is, like, wouldn't it be fun to be trapped oh, in a mall? And, like, get all this stuff. And like, they kind of, maybe they had more of it in the scripts or something, but they kind of just gloss over. But you see them, like, they're, like, set up with, like, their little dinner table later. Mm-hmm. They, like, found candles and, like, yeah, he's got the nice mattress at one point. We didn't really spend much time with that. I think they're, to their credit, I think. I think if we had to reverse engineer this movie start to finish, I don't, I don't think you come up with many better decisions besides, like, get to the action, get to the zombie, get to the stick in the head of the zombie as quickly and as coolly as possible. Uh, and I, I respect that. The more the more we're talking about this, the more I'm warming up on how much how, how great of a movie this was. <laughs> it's actually I'm kind of like awesome. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like too, James Gunn, he has like one spot in the script. He's like, okay, here's the part where it's fun to have like if you had infinite money and you could do whatever you wanted in a shopping uh-huh. Like, let's just give him ten minutes of apocalypse fun. Because that is a big, actually, you know, like in the original movie, there's an entire, like the smooth jazz sequence that it's set to. There's an entire montage of them going around, yeah, loading up their grocery carts with like loaves of bread and then going, getting all the most expensive shit. And there is kind of a little bit of that in this movie. There's the sequence later when they're, they're had their little montage to the backdrop of uh, the, the smooth jazz cover of Down With The Sickness, um, which yeah, is Yeah, was fucking... that Richard Cheese? Yeah. <laughs> was that Richard Cheese? Yeah, it was. Uh, okay, I remember yeah. Fuck it, I, I downloaded that on Napster, as I recall. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very tasteful. It's a really good cover, yeah. honestly. Um, but the thing that, like, you know, the, the original movie, it, that entire sequence and stuff is meant to highlight, like we said, you know, the consumerism as well. It's meant to create sort of the parallel between the, the zombie horde who are attracted to the mall because of their innate consumerism and attraction to, you know, any, any place with a bunch of stores in it. Um, and then you have the, the flip side of it with the survivors who, in this situation, are given, like you said, the, uh, the opportunity to pursue to have infinite shopping where they could get access to everything they could have ever wanted because it's all in this one place um which even like is a very 80s idea and then even in the early 2000s you know you talk about how what shopping malls used to be i asked that i asked myself that question as i was watching it again today about like can you make this movie with the same premise in 2023 like now with with brick and mortar shops kind of being gone now like we do most of our shopping online it seems like it's like how how viable of a place or maybe that'd be even funnier like how viable of a, of a survival location is a shopping mall where most of the suites are empty now um, that is a fun question that i want to spend some time with yeah if, if you made dawn of the dead today with the choice would you try to still do a shopping mall or would you do it in like an amazon warehouse or like <laughs> a, 
Dawn of the Dead Amazon warehouse would be perfect. Imagining all of those like vested employees turning into zombies, and then you have the head zombie yeah. of Jeff Bezos just sitting in the CEO office, and you finally get to him, and you get to pop his head off with a harpoon gun. Uh, that I could see that. I've got your first thirty pages right here, man. Don't don't worry about well, it. Well, you I, could uh, write it, and you could sell it to Amazon Prime for ten million dollars, and make Jeff Bezos <laughs> pay for it. I think would be like the, the funniest turn in that. I, I always feel like the thing that people love about, like, the general enjoyment of zombie movies is always the question of, like, what's the, like, because everyone's kind of like, oh, how would I do it? Like, how would I survive, right? Like, everybody sat down with their buddies, had a beer, and was like, all right, what would I do if, if the zombie apocalypse happened? I had a plan for a little while. Um, but I, I also feel like different movies and TV shows have been trying to answer the same question, but different scenarios, right? So, like, Walking Dead has, you know, 11 seasons to kind of, like, figure out what's the best place to do it. They had a prison for one season, and, like, yeah, I could see a prison being a good place to, like, survive until you're, like, trapped inside a prison with zombies. And then you're like, holy shit, I'm in a prison. This is a terrible idea. <laughs> Last of Us, episode three. I mean, we're, we're you know, we're just looking at all the different answers to this question throughout the years. And the most recent answer was, like, what if there was, like, a doomsday prepper who was, like, perfectly qualified to... And that's what I love. That's what we kind of get out of that episode, too, is, you know, Frank just has this, like, joyride where he's, like, at a Home Depot just, like, taking stuff. I love when he's, like, scanning food and it's, like, thousands of dollars or whatever. And he's just, like, who cares? And it's the it's, best it's thing that's same... ever happened to him. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, the same thing. And so there's always the question of, like, okay how well could you like how well could you survive and then the follow-up question is like could you add infinitum like you know support yourself like say you have infinite food and infinite it's kind of like a like a checkoff question you're like if you had infinite food but you're all alone like could you live the rest of your life that way or something and the answer is like kind of always no and kind of sometimes yes you're like well humans need other humans and that's where like the rub is right every time they meet a new survivor, it throws a wrinkle in a zombie movie, and that's where everything derails. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Travis. Uh, just jumping in here in the middle of the episode to say thank you for listening, and if you guys like what you hear, please feel free to tag us on social media at Scary Sunday Scaries. Uh, it's one of the best things you can do for the podcast. It really helps us get more followers uh, and interact with you guys, so we hope we hear from you guys soon. Thanks. See, I, you could give the criticism, I think, of Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead here compared to yeah, the Romero one, where they he's he's definitely exploring that. And he's got the like the good old boys, the hunting guys at the beginning, they're like pounding beers and coffee and they're just like gonna go on a hunt and just enjoy the heck out of shooting people or zombie cartoon people. Uh and like it's kind of different people's reactions and kind of like human nature and like different kind of societies and cliques like answers to it where slightly not to his credit Zack Snyder and James Gunn are like no it's just fun forget it like we have they have one line I think about like why are they coming to the mall which I think is like a, an homage or a rip to the original one um but they didn't really spend much time like exploring it they're just like no we're getting to the gore the trauma stuff the action and a good deal of like I liked how much thought they put into like they're like kill dozer and yeah. stuff like would you really sit around and like spend like that would have taken so much time to build the both of those and like it also like it, implies that someone knows how to weld metal they had welding yeah. supplies yeah multiple times you know? like there's like so many there's so many like <laughs> skills that like people would have to know in advance i mean you could like i don't in 2004 get like a welding for dummies book maybe and like try and figure it out well, like presumably it would well, be in the mall together like 
wake up in the mall and then they're yeah. like hey let's get back to building our kill dozer and like <laughs> by the way where's Mackay pfeiffer oh whatever like let's just keep building stuff and uh yeah and i don't like i don't know the, the drama of even getting that done i think would be movies and a, a season of a tv show if it came out today maybe but nope just they get kill dozers now and they're awesome yeah, it is. I, I do want to pose the question. I'm interested now. Uh, Daniel, how do you think, what what would be your response to a zombie apocalypse? Do you think you'd be a survivor? Um, You know, I think I'd give it a go, but I'm too nice, and I have actually terrible vision, uh, and I take this. <laughs> so I think I would go blind after, like, four months and die. That's that's my perspective too. Like I just don't think I'm enough of a survivor. I don't think I think I would give up really quickly. Like I just I don't I I lack enough will of, to live as it is right now. So it's like with the the added onus of uh, surviving an apocalypse, I don't know if I would be able to make it through that. Um, but these guys do. I mean, I like to think I have like I like to think I'm outdoorsy enough and like you know self sustaining enough that and I would buy it. You know, like I may I might make a good go of it if I could get out of the city and get into like right. a national park or get like a secluded cabin. Um, with just a little bit of supplies, like the the trick is too. It's then it becomes that question of like, you know, what happens if you get Giardia? You know, or like mm-hmm. you break an arm, like you're just fucked. There's no doctors. There's no nothing. Like no one's a Frank. That's my thing. Is yeah. the Last of Us is like it's fun because he knows how to do everything. So there, yeah. it, like Frank would survive, but no one is a Frank. No one has gunsmithing skills and carpentry. Like that guy was turning his own gas back on. Like he went to the local <laughs> gas station. I don't have those skills. I would be making fire out of like I would be chopping wood if I wanted to make a fire. And even then, I don't think I'd do that. As someone who barely survived the power going out for four days <laughs> in Austin, and like in having a family friend's house to go to, like down the street, uh, and that like being like, this is really rough on me. Like uh <laughs> I think we've all gone no, through something no here. No way would be able to last long at all. Yeah. Um, I do want to shout out in this. Uh, so in the midst of the sequence we were talking about, right, uh, we have CJ and the other security guards. They lock away the uh, the, re- the rest of our cast of survivors uh, in one of those little stores uh, in over in their overnight session. Um, you know, there's a couple of different TV broadcasts. And this is where we get uh, Tom Savini's um, cameo in here as well as the sheriff. Uh, he gets to show back up again. Uh, and we also get uh, Ken Forhey, who played Peter in the original Dawn of the Dead, who delivers the uh, the same iconic line he did from the, the original movie, which is, when there is no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Um, and it's it's kind of metal and kind of awesome. Uh, yeah. So we expand our cast of characters pretty quickly. It pretty much doubles here uh, in the next segment as the uh, the truck arrives, and we're introduced to a whole new host of, uh, of players in this game. Um, we also get uh, one one of the most interesting uh, death sequences with I think two uh, performances that are that are kind of polar in their in their calib- uh, caliber here as uh, the Frank of this movie dies because um, we get introduced to uh, Frank and his daughter Nicole so Matt Frewer playing Frank uh, as well as uh, Ty Burrell playing Steve. Um, we get a couple of other uh, elderly people, one of whom has been bit and has been wheeled around in a wheelbarrow. And then there's a couple of unnamed. I don't think they actually get name checked, like the uh, the blonde woman and then the um, the the second elderly man who will be the undoing of one of our buses later on. Um, 
Yeah, this death sequence with Frank is kind of it, it, it stuck out to me in the middle of the movie because it was so heart wrenching. And I forget that the like in the midst of all of this chaos and crazy action, there are all these little moments that poke through that are surprisingly poignant. Um, Frank's death scene, whenever he's sitting in that room after everybody else is sort of like vacated, uh, and he's talking to Ving Rhames and he's like delivering his last words. I'm like, wow, what a what a moment of uh, of brief, you know, sort of amazing performance uh to to pop out of this movie um oh i love it too because they, they kind of use it to set up they do a lot of things with those scenes so like they set up and tear down a whole bunch of stuff right so ving rames he's like constantly trying to leave the mall he's like i gotta go find my brother he's at fort pastor so there's like the idea that there's another place where everyone is safe so all they have to do is get out and go to that place and when these new people show up, the first one of the first things they tell them is like, "Poor pastor's gone, man. Like there is no safe place. Like this is it. Where you are standing right now is the safest place there is." And I think too that like they use it to kind of cut out a lot of this like hopeful beats. Um, and that's the same time that uh, the uh, you know the uh, nurse Anna, I think, uh, kind of like does the math and learns um, that it's a bite. And so this is the other thing too is like. You know, we're operating in a world where we've seen, we kind of, zombies are like part and parcel of our culture. We know, without saying anything, we know you get bit, you're done. Like, that's it. And we know, like, at the very beginning of the movie. So I think it's interesting they have to explain it. I don't know if 2004, we, like, didn't take, we, we didn't take that stuff for granted and it needed to be said. But I think, too, it's, like, super fascinating to me that Anna learns um, that a bite is, she, like, thinks, like, oh, a bite is what causes you to turn. And if you're bit, you're done. And then we meet Frank, who's this, like, very nice middle-aged father um, who is, like, you know, super sweet. And, yeah, and, like, they're like, oh, are you bit? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm super bit. Like, I'm, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because they... You wouldn't believe how bit I am. <laughs> I got the bug. <laughs> he, he says, too, like, you know, he... Um, they make a big deal out of it because they're like, oh, we'll just put him down. Like, they're like, oh, we'll just shoot him. He's yeah. going to turn. It's like <laughs> another one of those, like, yeah. fa- like classic tropes of a big moral conundrum. It's like, could you yeah. commit euthanasia if you had to? Like, you're, you know, risking the life of the group by letting a person turn into a zombie. You just can't predict what's going to happen. And so the, what's his face? The, like, our lead male protagonist is kind of like, all right, I'll put him down. Like, just grabs a pistol and starts walking over. <laughs> You're like, holy shit, he didn't even think about it. And Ving Rhames is on his side. So there's just, like, all these opposing forces. They make a meal out of Frank's death because it's the first time they ask the question of, like, well, if they tell people if you're bit, you're screwed. And it's the first time we're kind of, like, led in to believe, like, oh, if, you know, like... If, if uh, if they had to put one of their own down, could they do it? And you kind of see all the different characters and like where they fall on that spectrum. So we know like CJ would kill everyone in a heartbeat, like no question. <laughs> they turn it on his head real quick because then they have the dog. I mean, like, would you do it if it was a dog though? Like, would you uh, do it if it's someone you you haven't spoken to? They just you've communicated in signs, like uh, yeah, yeah. Man, it is a tight movie, and they don't. It's it's moving so fast that I feel like you're dealing with all this at like a very breakneck pace where it's not this like long because you could do like a whole banshees of on your sharing like drama of like one of these decisions basically you could yeah. spend two hours on i mean just... that's basically like all of the walking dead i've seen like two mm-hmm. or three seasons yeah. of that show and every season the finale was always like you have to kill someone you love to save everyone else 
Like, we get it. You have to kill yeah. people. <laughs> Somebody's going to make a sacrifice. I, yeah, I haven't watched a single episode, honestly. Yeah. Uh, incomplete transfer. You should watch the pilot. The first season's really, really good. It's, it's Just catch us up real quick, watch. Daniel. Give us a recap of every season. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I can't do that. I've only seen like okay. four. I, I truly gave up after, after four. But I, the reason it was, for better or worse, the reason it was such a cultural powerhouse, it, people were tuned in. People really liked this stuff. They love this zombie stuff. They love, And Frank Darabont, you know, created the first season. Um, oh. based based off of a Robert Kirkman comic, so you're you're working with two giants in two completely different industries. It's worth the, it's worth a visit. The first season is worth it. Well, I'd be curious. I think I mean, Dawn of the Dead knows its strengths and weaknesses, and I think that's my takeaway here is is it's doing it well. But like you could have gone for more with some of this melodrama, but I think they hit it just right. They hit it. They're you're, they're using it to like move story and like like you empathize with characters. Uh, but it gets to it gets to it's, it's like it's like a perfectly so sufficient amount of like yeah character yeah. development and conflict that that is perfect like sprinkles the the action in such a way that it, it you know just kind of elevates it just enough uh, to get you on board with everything. Um, the sequence here with uh, like in the parking garage, right? Like the power goes out and they go down and they have to escape like the zombie. This is where they discover Chips, the dog, right? Um, this is like the next big action sequence in the movie that I think is like where everything kind of ramps up a little bit. Um, we've gotten chase scenes. We've gotten shooting zombies through the door and everything. But this is where they have a horde, a swarm of zombies that attacks them kind of out of the blue. Um literally from above you know you have that one zombie who somehow managed to like it's like shimmying down the sprinkler piping uh and then uh, ambushes one of the uh one of the lesser security guards uh from above and then they but they managed to escape and uh hide themselves away within like a little fenced off area um and then burn the rest of them with gasoline um i guess this is like foreshadowing till for later whenever you know fire will be one of the uh, the primary weapons of how they'll, they'll ultimately defeat everybody um which I as a mechanic I love cuz I feel like it doesn't solve anything. I'm like they they these zombies probably have no nerve endings. Like they don't yeah. the brain doesn't feel pain yeah. obviously cuz they're just not dying. So like all you're doing is lighting people on fire which is like <laughs> spreading fire everywhere. <laughs> well, it has a functional reason. Eventually they'll burn and like cease moving uh presumably. It just takes it's a like the while. slowest way to kill well, something though. I've never tried like burn roasting. The brain. Yeah. I actually, Daniel, what you're saying makes sense to me. Yeah, it probably wouldn't make as much. Well, like Last of Us, which is very, like, so far, seems very, like, a real, realized and, like, really thought out thing. But they're fungus, so I guess they would burn. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe almost yeah. more flammable. It looks cool as shit. I'm not arguing with it. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think explosions work because shrapnel, you know, concussive force, like, there's so much happening there, but just, yeah. just fire in general... I think it only makes your situation, in like a realistic world, it only makes the situation worse. You just have fire zombies coming after you. <laughs> exactly, you just made fire zombies. Um, did you notice, uh, I feel like, so Jake Weber's character, Michael, throughout the movie, right, is kind of playing the everyman. He's sort of our template the, to latch onto as, a, as an anchor point. You know, he's the blank, the, the blank slate of the movie um, as <laughs> it goes on. I kept noticing, I don't know if it was just me internalizing this, but it seemed like his accent would slip slightly, like, uh, from time to time. Because he, he is a Londoner, he's a British guy, um, and he speaks in a very, like, non-regional, almost sort of transatlantic uh, accent. Um, but there are moments whenever he's, like, giving responses or speeches and it, it starts to sound a little bit posh in a, in a way and it's it's kind of funny to me um you know i agree i definitely clocked in my head at some point that he's british 
And I also clocked that like he's kind of dressed like Sean and Sean of the Dead. He's got the red on him, like and he's got that white <laughs> shirt. That's kind of like Kathleen talked. And I, I almost was like, was Sean of the Dead a response to that character? Uh, but yeah, I think I like clocked that he's British. And then like later, I was like, oh, that must have been like miscalibration on my part of maybe I'm just like finding it was Sean of the Dead or something. But yeah, I, I felt like I caught that a couple of times too. That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's vaguely there, but it comes out uh, every now and then. Um, so we also introduced at some point, uh, right, they get up to the roof when they're painting their signs, and we do meet Andy, who is across the road. Um, this is also one of my favorite gags of the movie is, you know, they can only communicate with him through the use of a whiteboard. Uh, and so, like, as they're sort of trying to figure out their plans and uh, and maintain yeah, survival. Yeah, he's like... He's, like, locked up in a gun store yeah. about, a, you know, like, a, a quarter mile of pure zombies between the shopping mall and the gun store, but they're both standing, like, on their roofs, catty-cornered to each other with binoculars. So they're, like, binoculars spying on each other's whiteboards and trying to share, like, short messages. They end up playing chess uh, later on, uh, being Rames and Andy. Uh, and then the the black comedy that comes out in this too is whenever they're playing their game of uh, name the celebrity lookalike, and then Andy picks him off with a sniper rifle from like four hundred yards away. Um, yeah, it's in fun. there. There's some comedy in here, uh, and it's fun. Um, I will say, man, let's talk about the zombie baby here for a second uh, while we're here. Um, so we were introduced to Luda, uh, Andre's wife, early on in the movie, and she was pregnant at the beginning. Um, in the first little altercation they have down by the fountain after uh, Michael has uh, croquet malleted a zombie, a bald zombie, and uh, they fend off, Ving Rhames is able to fend off like the security guard zombie. Um, in that little scuffle, we're kind of led to believe that's when Luda gets bitten. Um, so over the course of the movie of the next couple of sequences, you know, she becomes increasingly sequestered away as they find their own little corners of the mall. Um, and as they're sort of distributing supplies and everything, Andre gets, you know, medical supplies to go take back to her. Anna, the nurse asks to go check on Luda, but he, you know, kind of rejects her and makes sure hides her and turns everybody else down. Um, and then we eventually discover that, yeah, he has her chained or, you know, strapped into a, like a, a, a recliner bed. Um, and she's very, very much turning into a zombie, um, but still very, very much pregnant and about to give birth. And man, this, uh, this, well, they tee it up too. Like he has a reason why he does that. It's not just like, he's like psycho. He kind of like tells Ving Rhames when they go to, mm. they go to the bathroom or whatever. And he's like, you know, I just want a chance to be a really good dad. Like I, that's all I want. I want to be he, a great dad. He says his purpose in this world is to bring that baby into this world, right? After they're sort of, that is the moment that they're kind of having their existential, you know, conversation uh, with uh, Ving Rhames and uh, Andre. They're, you know, about the nature, like whether or not they're they're religious or if there is a God or if this is the apocalypse or the end times. And yeah, that is when Andre, you know, explicitly says that he thinks his purpose is to bring that baby into the world. And so that's what he's committed to. Um, but yeah, that old lady shows up because she wants to come help, uh, presumably. And, uh, yeah, she witnesses him after, you know, the birth has happened, essentially, you know, cradling the, the baby uh, of his dead wife, uh, his undead wife. Uh, and man, this moment, too, like they get in a little shoot off, which I think is fucking hilarious. Uh, when the, the She's old like lady getting off up. shots. She's yeah. like shot and like getting off shots still like John Wick. Uh, yeah, that, that was cool. It's almost played like a like a soap drama. The way like the number of like bar gun barrel close ups you get uh, as they're like shooting at each other. Like he, he shoots, she shoots the zombie wife Luda, and then he shoots her, and then she shoots him, and then he shoots her again. Uh, it's I don't know. It, it is almost slapstick uh, in the same way that the next 
moment as Anna and the rest of the crew come running along, right? Um, having heard the gunshots and they find, uh, you know, the the dead bodies of the old lady and Andre uh, and then the swaddled baby, which as they unswaddle it and reveal that it's, it's a fucking zombie baby, um, there's an immediate smash cut and you just hear the gunshot within like five seconds. It's, I don't know, it was hilarious. Um, I was, I audibly laughed whenever I was watching that again this afternoon. Um, but it's gross. It's a gross scene. And it's something that like, I think it's sort of, uh, to me, it's almost like the, uh, the extreme elaboration of that thing from Night of the Living Dead from the very first movie of the idea that, you know, a child can come, can be like a zombie, but it also doesn't make sense. Um, like you said, I don't know if like, I guess the, the zombie infection is hereditary. It passes down uh, from mother to unborn child somehow. Um well, that's like such a James Gunn bit too, right? It's like, <laughs> let's make something really fucking creepy. Like, yeah, even when she's pregnant and like in the process of giving birth, it's like poking at her skin. Like, it's uh, a hand is trying to yeah, get out and stuff. Real body horror, like, her like sickly, like slimy at that point skin. And like, yeah. It's the fun. I also love, I love that when she gives birth, there's like a splatter of blood <laughs> between her legs. It's like so, like, what? <sighs> That's even trauma stuff for sure. Even oh, yeah. the foley work, whenever she is still pregnant, and you and he's like resting his head on, and you hear like the squelching and squishing inside of her like pregnant belly. It's yeah, it's gnarly. It reminds me. I think I've talked about this before, but it's like there's something so viscerally like unnerving about sequences like this one particularly. Um, yeah. It reminds me of that uh, the one scene from uh, Train Spotting from uh, Danny Boyle's Train Spotting, where Ewan McGregor is like he's having a a withdrawal fueled nightmare about the uh, like the heroin baby that like turns its head around. Um, yeah, it's it's fucking gross. I don't know. See, all- well, I know. Daniel, you're a writer, I know, a screenwriter. Um, I feel like that, and in my head, I like, I was like revisiting, I thought this was a bigger part of the movie and just like the idea of a zombie baby, like you get like a whole Rosemary's Baby film you could do with it. And I, I remember mm. just thinking it was bigger and the way they marketed it, I think they knew they had something with it. Being like, this is unique. People are very like, you can't look away. Like it's going to draw them in to go to the movie. And it's almost a letdown. It's this little part of it. <laughs> Where it could have been like that could have been like set up in the first act and like part of the climax of the film is they got this zombie baby or it could have been like crawling around the mall for a while uh, but no they they kill it right away yeah uh and I keep, I, i'm just coming back to that i feel like again that's an example of like they had something good they could have made it bigger and i think it could have been an even better movie but maybe Zack snyder and james gunn just weren't equipped to deal with that just yet as opposed to just like a shoot 'em up zombie movie so they just like self-contained it in like one little throwaway. They could have been cut from the movie and nothing would have changed. Like, uh, but I swear that was like at the previews. That was like what they ended with, like at the the, the trailers, and like that was like the, a big draw to wanting to go see it. I think for a lot of people. Well, and that's actually a really good point. Is uh, as far as like the script of this entire story is, it's it serves as several purposes. Like one, it does become an inflection point. At that point, like all the characters realize, like. They're like they're like I don't want to die in this mall. Like I gotta get out of here. And hence, like we get the final third of this script. So it's like an act two, like big dramatic downbeat. Like they play it really dark. It is like a big, a big dramatic moment. But it also serves as a marketing tool. And it's exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Is like they don't need this beat to be longer because they want this. They want to tell the story about these survivors, and they have to get these people out of a shopping mall. And so there's so much 
like yeah we probably could have lost the montage of them like having fun in a shopping mall and just <laughs> gone straight to this but i do think that they they they, they didn't make a meal out of it uh, because they really just wanted to like dial in on what happens but they make it a valuable moment and in the process create something that a studio can use to market this film without giving away too much right like you'll see you'll see some horror movies where you see the trailer and you're like okay i've seen this entire movie like do i really need to watch this it gives you a to bring um, your girlfriend yeah yeah and there's lots of things for you to kind of like be like oh this is going to be really messed up but it's not the thing like when you get there if they were to like over market it you know you if that was the final piece of the movie you'd be like well that's it like after that scene you're like okay <laughs> i don't really I'm not invested in what happens next because I got the thing they told me I was going to get. But this movie <laughs> promises so much more. And so I think it's kind of clever. I probably don't know. As a writer, I don't know what I would do with that. Like, I don't think I would extend it either. <laughs> I, I would be too, like, terrified of the darkest corners of my imagination in a lot of ways. But I, I admire making the most out of it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, you know, I think, too, we just don't know what audiences could have stomached back in 2004 which isn't even that long ago, but still is like, you know, could audiences really like put up with like, you know, this, that was just the birth itself and having that thing out in the world was like so dark and grotesque to add on top of that would just be more misery on pain. Yeah. And we think about recently too, like I feel like HBO, you know, with their <laughs> dragon shows has been particularly guilty of this recently of sort of like gleefully putting on display sequences of uh like labor and birth and stuff. Um, so it's almost like we're desensitized well, to it at this moment. <laughs> it, and like, you know, it's probably, there's a million ways to do it. So there's no way that what I'm about to say is true, but you know, that <laughs> might detract. It might detract yeah. from the, like the more serious parts of this movie is like, now right. we have like a Scooby-Doo baby zombie, like action <laughs> chase. It Which might is be like a such a movie at that sentence. point. It goes up into the vents like instantly. I, I, don't think, I was expecting that to happen. I just, I did not remember that they killed the zombie baby right after they introduced it. And then, uh, but a part of me, I was like, part of me was let down. A part of me was like, good, because that was going to stress me out. Like if that thing was going <laughs> around or just coming back. I mean, I could just, again, just let my brain like ease into the kill dozer and like headshots of zombies. Because that's, that, that my brain really, really likes that. And I think most people do yeah. yeah it is and it's the next but yeah the next part of the movie which like you said is the final third uh so like all the calamitous sort of next parts of the movie are are centered around these uh these two buses that they found earlier in the parking garage uh they strip the entire mall with of supplies to basically build them out into killdozers equipped with barbed wire uh snow plows uh they they rig slots in the side of the buses in order to push change chainsaws through to cut the zombies off as they're trying to like flip the bus um and they like load them with propane tanks. And yeah, bullets. it's like if a if a average ordinary person tried to make a tank with like leftover supplies. Yeah, no, I will double tap on yeah our character Michael like his glee of being like check this out I added like chainsaws. <laughs> yeah. And again, if he's the everyman character we personify with, the fact that he's like this is awesome. Like I want you to know <laughs> that like we didn't have to do this. Like. We could have just had a bus that rammed through people, but like, no, I made like shoots because because it's gonna be fun, like to do this. Like, she that's calls about on it. Yeah, she, she says that's... Anna's like, "What's wrong with you?" She's like, "Why is this fun?" 
<laughs> but they also share like a weird horny moment there too. Like they kind of briefly try to drop in the little romance between them. Like they sort of, I think they for, they forgot that they had to do that up until that point in the movie, and then they hastily sort of try to wedge it in from that point on to the end of the movie. Especially once he once he sacrifices himself ultimately um, at the very tail end. Uh, but this is that first moment where they're trying to sort of like lay the groundwork of being like, oh yeah, we have a couple of you know hetero leads here that haven't you know had sex yet. Um, we need to make sure we work that in somehow uh, my theory for that is always it's not that they forget, or they just like oh shit we should put this in real quick I, my theory is they always had more and they're like it's not landing like, yeah or it's, it's, it's getting boring like let's just cut the majority of it i mean like let's just leave the little last little tail end of it to be like we didn't forget but we specifically are not showing you more because you're not going to care yeah yeah that or like it, it's like it ended as a comforting beat but they just played it too romantic yeah I can't. We've also uh, neglected to talk about Steve up to this point. Uh, another sort of like interesting Easter egg of, or a uh, you know, character performance by somebody who kind of become ubiquitous later on. You know, it's it's Phil. Like he's in there playing the smarmy, uh, rich dude who he's the one with the boat. And Phil so from Modern make, Family. Yeah, it's Phil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but with his fucking pointy ass sideburns and you know, suit that he wears throughout the entire movie, he's uh he plays an asshole and he does it pretty well. Um. And I think his his ultimate comeuppance is uh is pretty funny. Uh, played for a laugh later too. Um, I just love that like the asshole is such a trope in zombie movies. So, like everything, every every iteration of this media, even from Night of the Living Dead, from like the very beginning, <laughs> there's always the asshole, which you know is different variations of like the person who's like you know motivated by fear, self-serving, and you know me and mine. I you know th- the world's over. There are no rules. I have to take care of my people. Screw you. Like, I, I don't care what it takes to, to survive. I'm willing to do it. And they're all just, like, different twists and turns on this. And Steve is just kind of, like, a smarmy douche. Yeah. He played it well. Which is funny because, like, we, this always seems like, you know, maybe there's an element of, uh, of, of movie-ness in that, like, you, you know, you have, you have that character who, in spite of the apocalypse, is somehow still managing to be an asshole. Um, and you, that seems unbelievable to a certain degree until you live through a global pandemic in 2020 and you learn that, like, even when the world is ending, there are still people that are going to be assholes about it uh, in, like, the, the sheerest, stupidest way possible. Um, and you just... You just want to shoot him in the head. Like, that's all you want to do. <laughs> you just want to let him turn you into a zombie. You hope they get bitten. You hope they get bitten. <laughs> she relishes the opportunity yeah. to, to put him out of his misery later. Um, yeah, so they tried to deliver uh, supplies to Andy across the street uh, because he's starving to death. I guess the gun shop wasn't equipped with quite enough beef jerky for him. Uh, and this movie presumably takes place over the course of, like, weeks. Like, they, have, they spend a lot of time here. Um, they throw up a sign that says five days uh, at a certain point. Um, so you, you have to assume he's been in there for a while living off of, you know, rhino pills and security blankets and stuff. Um, so they send over chips, the dog to bring him supplies, which is this whole like, uh, chaotic, such a good plan. It works. It it works. He's so bad. Yeah, it works, and it's kind of which is kind of a bummer. Yeah, why it why it doesn't work? Like it's just like not shutting the doggy door quick enough. Yeah, ninety nine percent of it worked, and then just like just like oh that worked. I'm not gonna like double check the one entrance I have to make sure this <laughs> slides shut. And yeah, even that was like, 
the more the more hilarious and frustrating aspect of like Nicole going to rescue the dog afterward, right? Like she and also how easy it would have been to I guess do this just like right off the bat. Like she could have she makes it over pretty easily in the truck uh to the shop in order to rescue Chips the dog. Uh oh, yeah. the the audio from the walkie-talkie as they all just have to kind of sit there as as an audience and listen to them narrate the events of what's going on inside the gun shop as uh Andy turns into a zombie and traps Nicole in a closet. Uh, is it's hilarious. Uh, I love this beat because, like, this is a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm smarter than that. Like, I hate <laughs> yeah. to be that guy, but I, I love animals. I love pets, but in a post-apocalyptic world, like, the value of them is like incredibly low to me. So I'm like, okay, chips is fine. I'm not gonna go get that dog. That dog can come back whenever it wants. It's not my problem. <laughs> And, like, it's not my job to go over there and rescue a dog. If it were a human, I'd be like, okay, now we have bigger questions. Now we have a moral conundrum. But, no, it's just Chips, and he's doing fine. Zombies don't even like the dogs, apparently. Well, we don't even, like, know much about Andy. Ving Rang's like Andy, which I was kind of endearing. But, like, like, yeah, the whole, like, Andy was so dumb. And you're just <laughs> hearing him die. And the guy, you, you again, we're the everyman character, Michael, and he's just like, Andy, listen to me, like, stay away from the zombies. And, and he's like, basically, like, oh, hey, guys, like, what are you doing here? And like, uh, again, they like, they haven't transmitted the information that getting bit turns you. So he's like, I'm I know. Bleeding over here. He's like, I'm bleeding a lot over here, guys. It's pretty bad. Like, I can't wait for you to, like, save me with your medicine. And they're all they're like, hey, like, they the sure did bite me good. <laughs> Anyways, I'm gonna see y'all soon, right? Like, that was, I love it. Yeah. They even say like, should we tell him? And they're like, no, <laughs> nah, just no, he'll figure he'll, he'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was always struck by the poignancy and like, like I said, the nihilism and hopelessness of the ending of this movie. Um, once the once Andy goes, and then they they have to go on their rescue mission to to rescue Nicole through the sewers, which again also seems like an easier plot than like what they tried with the dog and everything. Um, they manage to get through the sewers, get Nicole out of the building, and then get back to the mall. Um, and then because they're being chased by a horde of zombies, they decide that that's the time to go ahead and break out the killdozers um, and start plowing through them. Um, and this is where we get that one particular shot where, yeah, you're right. It is like the fully CGI shot of the two buses and the sea of zombies. Uh, and it does look a little, it doesn't quite hold up uh, very well, but I think everything inside the buses kind of works. Uh, particularly like the uh, the propane bomb that uh, CJ sets off uh, in this sequence here. Um, yeah. But then it's just kind of a race finish. I don't think it was CGI. It just was graded a weird, like, mm. blue. And just, it, it looked, like, very grainy. And, like, uh, I don't know what was off about it, but it didn't look like it was, like, a high-quality video. <laughs> and I don't know what they were doing there and why it kind of looked that way. But they otherwise, I, I do want to commend them on a great job with the hordes and the, the makeup and the costumes. And the zombies look great. And These zombies are honestly, terrifying. Cool. Yeah. yeah. The explosion looked great. Uh, that was a very cool kind of like DC universe, I would imagine, or just a big spectacle action uh, kind of moment that I definitely, I think was like, yeah, we could give him a legacy franchise and a hundred million dollars to make a movie later. And yeah. Yeah. This guy has the tools to work with. Um, yeah. 
But I also love the the hilariousness of how this plan goes wrong with the the one elderly man in the van who can't somehow work a chainsaw without like it's like it's like a Sam Raimi level of campiness whenever he gets that chainsaw going and just chops into the woman next to him. There, uh, so you gotta like <laughs> explain what happens because I I just like this is the second of this entire movie that I never forgot. I was like, okay, I'll never be this dumb. Like, <laughs> so we talked about, like, they have, like, a slit at the bottom of their bus that you can stick, like, the blade of a chainsaw out and kind of, like, you know, saw your zombies. They, they're going to cling to the side. You can saw them off. And so it works the first couple times. And they're, like, then they get bogged down. They're surrounded. And buses can't move. So you're like, oh, my God, we're screwed. Uh, and they, like, you know... A, at one point, they, this older gentleman who is the choir, like the the, the uh, organist at a local church, just like a very buddy duddy kind of old man, has never shown any badassery at all in this movie. Takes up the chainsaw and he's like, <laughs> "I want to do the chain." He literally says, "He's like, I want to do the chainsaw now." And as he lifts it up and revs it, so it's going right as they like hairpin turn, like go around the side of a like it's just like the whole bus is in chaos, and of course he starts swinging that thing inside the bus brings it down on top of you know this unnamed blonde woman that you know is just kind of been like a bit player in this comedy moment and just chainsaws into her shoulder and the whole thing like she panics driver panics everything goes sideways the bus gets flipped and we lose one of the two killdozers yeah so stupid there is a, a very chaotic energy to that last third that I, I definitely, again, just keeps it moving because it's just, it's wild. And they just like, yeah, they, they jump into the mission quicker. And of course, wielding a chainsaw on a moving bus <laughs> is, is going to end in a, a, a way that it naturally does. And yeah, you almost, I feel let down and we didn't see that happen, to be yeah. honest, because that, that would absolutely happen. Definitely not OSHA approved. Um <laughs> yeah, they they flip the bus, and uh, Steve seems like he's going to be the only survivor initially, right? Uh, but yeah, he gets he gets ambushed by a zombie pretty quickly, uh, and then as he turns and Anna comes to save them, uh, Anna gets the pleasure of uh, of executing zombie Steve, uh, and then Ving Rhames makes it out alive as well as uh, who makes it out of the bus uh, with Ving Rhames? Is it just Kenneth at that point? I guess I don't know. The, yeah, the rest of the characters the, get it's out. It's like the young the young couple Ving Rhames and. The male, the male leader. I always forget his name too. I can't believe Michael. It. He's so generic, yeah. Michael. Yeah, he just um, blends into the background. Um, so but this is a good plan, like, right? We're down to the characters we actually like, like that we spend yeah. time with, we care about, and we kind of lose all the like the extra people. You're like, yeah, they're not that well known. They're probably gonna. Die. <laughs> um, but this is a good plan, right? Like honestly, this is what I would do: getting to a boat and getting out to a uh, to a marina to try to like sail to a, a sequestered island, so that hopefully wouldn't have had. You know, zombies get to it yet. I don't know. Well, like, and here's the thing: they're in Milwaukee, right? So, are they going in a lake? I I have to assume this is Lake Michigan, right? Like, yeah, they're yeah, they're going yeah. out to an island on Lake Michigan. Uh, but yeah, they this this whole end sequence where they get to the dock and CJ gets the opportunity to sacrifice himself via propane again, uh, and then uh, Michael is bitten in the process of you know earlier rescuing Anna and getting her back into one of the killdozers. Um, yeah, this this last shot of Michael just standing on the dock of that uh, of that marina is so it is hard. Right? Like I, I I forgot how poignant the ending of this movie is, and it's very very sweet in a way, um, but also like very tragic. 
you just hear like again off-screen deaths and gunshots the i think we're three for three in this movie um as far as those go um and then the mm-hmm. credits for this movie uh, start rolling, and it's man, what a blast with this found footage thing going on here of uh, of Steve's video camera. Uh, it kicks off with some videos of him and his girlfriend, but then we kind of get the epilogue of what happened to it's our, like uh, girl our surviving friends. voters. Yeah, <laughs> I love this too because it's like it splices in footages of a boat party, essentially like a mini yacht orgy, and there's like a woman just completely t- she like takes her top off. And you're yeah, like, why is this? What what is happening? And then it cuts, and it says directed by, and then it yeah. cuts back to footage, uh, you know, of the guy on the boat like showing, like lifting the camera, like what are you doing? He's like, I just wanted to record. I found his camera, and then it cuts to like produced by. So it's like intermingling. I actually love this because it forces you to kind of stay and watch the credits. And there's like nothing I love more than like you know really like getting us to like tune in to the credits of this movie. Yeah, and then the ultimate hopelessness of them finally getting to, you know, they run out of water, the gas, like, it looks like the, you know, a fire happens on deck. Um, they make it to an island, but then as soon as they get off the island, the dog, the dog runs out into the forest, you know, barking. Uh, and then we see another zombie horde just pop out, and we know that nobody made it out alive. And it's kind of a, kind of a bummer, but it's kind of awesome, too. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, this is one of my first encounters with having an existential crisis of this type and uh, having to face down the 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 idea of of inevitable mortality i guess it's a it's a fun it's a fun it's a fun ending but and a a good movie think back (laughs) to a moment where they all agree to this plan (laughs) and uh, i think it's yeah cj michael kelly's character like he's like wait a second so we're gonna go (laughs) leave the safe mall and we're gonna do this and do this and if that works and then that works and we get to a boat and then maybe make it to an island and then he's like I'm in, like <laughs> you son of a bitch. Kind of that same, when they all have that same kind of like, let's just die kind of vibe to it, and like, or like it at least will be fun, and yeah, yeah. I will say to our point earlier that that Michael character, Jake Weber's Michael character, we don't really care for him too much. To see him kind of like that last shot, I, I remember thinking I was like, it's not going to end right here, is it? Because I didn't really care if he died or not. <laughs> A little bit, but I, I I I see your point. I do like if any if there is a lead character, it is him, and we are with him as the audience. Maybe if they flipped it, we're like his point of view and watching the the ship go and spending some time with him or something. But it's too snappy of a movie to like. Yeah, to get, to dwell on that for too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, but having watched it today and having talked about it, like, have have your feelings on the two thousand four Dawn of the Dead improved, or uh, was this a was this a hard recommend from the beginning for you guys? I'll, I'll say personally that they've improved. And I mean, I think it, it exceeded my expectations, at least from the very beginning. I was like, okay, this is good. Like, this is watchable. I kind of, Zack Snyder earned everything he's gotten in his career. Uh, even if, like, I haven't seen a Justice League movie. I haven't, like, particularly avoided them in anything. Like, not on, I don't have any hard stance on them. I just haven't gone through uh, that film series. Uh, but it definitely did better. Than I thought, and it, it, it the the tenant of like the Ultimate Action Movie Club and like what we built our friend group on, and like this this website, it was like if you can enjoy watching a movie with a group of friends, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like it, it could be bad, it could be over the top, it could be poorly acted, or like sometimes the worst movies are more fun. But yeah. this 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 movie definitely had everything that I think watching with a group and like spending two hours talking about it, an hour and a half talking about it after. Um, that it, it's hitting all of those with flying colors so it, it's definitely a great movie that i would recommend anyone that wants to watch and talk about it and enjoy watching it with like people they care about 
yeah no it's definitely i it, this is definitely an entertaining movie uh and like you said yeah for as far as Zack snyder's career goes too um so he he says that he started working on the script for army of the dead right after this movie came out um and the bookends of his current filmography right both being zombie movies um i kind of only want him to do this like this is awesome and army of the dead was fantastic as well and i'm really excited to see what happens with uh the army of the dead uh las vegas series that's going to come out uh supposedly this year um because that looks like it's going to be pretty awesome as well um, but I, yeah. I, I, I love this movie. Anyone who doesn't know, he's all like he already did. They already produced Army of Thieves. Um, you know, he's spinning out um, kind of what he did with Justice League, where he, you know they introduce all these characters, they make a team, and then we're getting like you know some solo series about each individual character. So there's like there's stories there, and there's ideas. Uh, my favorite example is there's like a zombie that's like a robot at one point. You know yeah, and everybody was like, "What? What is that? Like, why is that there?" And Zack Snyder was like. I'll explain later. You're gonna find out. <laughs> it's gonna be later. And so there's I also aliens the in there for some reason. Like, uh... yeah, like there's there's a lot of strange things. He just he's kind of like back ending a universe in here that Netflix obviously they want whatever <laughs> their franchise. You know they're building their own thing, um, and this isn't new to him. But I just love that he just like made this like I don't like stir fry of a movie that is equally as like entertaining and appetizing as it is like quick and easy to cook and devour it's so funny i love to people kind of try and hold them to a higher standard i I do think it's hilarious to see people kind of go back and forth on like the quality of this stuff i'm like guys it's a movie about you know people breaking into a vault in vegas during zombie apocalypse to avoid a nuclear bomb like at what point do we stop saying like is it really that like is it really that well made and at what point do we start saying like yeah it's kind of fun yeah. Fun. See, this is my outsider take on this whole Snyder cut thing from people who didn't follow it. Like, it gave him like such a, a power and his name such a like an importance. I don't want to say it's not deserved because I think that like they had a good argument for it, but it kind of like became a thing bigger than it was, and his his name got brought into a bigger conversation that I don't think he just. It, it, I think it's kind of a detriment to his name to a degree. Yeah, it's because. It, it existed like outside of him yeah like very much like what you're saying it's it's you know without Zack Snyder it could have it could have happened this this idea of the internet or you know movie culture con- like shaping the way for productions and stuff and having an influence on what gets made or released um what maybe would have happened well, eventually to something else it just this is it was just him attached to this particular project I- I actually really want to push back on that. Obviously, the idea of, like, Snyder Cut has now become shorthand mm-hmm. for, like, fans forcing studios to make, you know, for directors to release their cut. Yeah. Like, David Ayer has a cut of Suicide Squad mm. that, you know, for a while fans were pushing. And WB was like, yeah, we're not doing that. But I, in Snyder's case, too, this is, like, extremely rare. This is, you know, the reason he departed from the film was for a huge tragedy in his family. He needed to step back and take yeah. care of, you know, he lost his daughter. That's that's heartbreaking so like yeah naturally he stepped away and they brought in joss whedon and so the tone like the tonal differences sure and snyder himself is kind of like you know it, it was a movie we made it like I, all i care about is like taking care of my family right now like i don't i don't feel one way or the other about this kind of angled together version other than like i have a lot of ideas and we shot a lot of stuff but it coincided with so many stories of abuse and neglect about the people in charge of of Justice mm-hmm. League, that it's it's as much about doing justice for the actors that was in, like, doing justice for the movie, the actors that were in it, the director that had to leave, as it is about, like, Snyder himself having the vision, right? right? Like, 
it's this weird like perfect storm of stories about you know executives jeff johns joss whedon being particularly adamant and changing things and forcing actors and you know a certain sense of uncomfortability that became very public um, which is very rare like there just aren't that many like actors coming out and being like no i i actually you know had a really hard time reshooting stuff it's such mm. a specific story that like yeah the snyder cut exists in this very weird like liminal space between the fans and the studios the director and the actors the you know people like getting you know let being picked off the set or people being like brought on that just doesn't exist for a lot of these other movies but it, it's also a shorthand for kind of a terrifying idea of like forcing studios to cave to your will but i think part of the reason they even did it was because of all this stuff like you know the tragedy that is behind snyder and, and his wife who deborah she's the producer on all of his films yeah so like they, it, both of them were involved Right, like in a different situation, if it had been like a director leaving a project for creative differences, like, you know, that had, you know, that was less related to, you know, just sort of the, the upheaval of their life by some, you know, t terrible accident or terrible um, tragedy. Um, yeah, I guess that that was the catalyzing force that kind of like allowed that ha to happen uh, in general. But I like yeah. this, this, the Snyder Cut didn't happen in a vacuum, but it mm -hmm. now is like frustratingly the, the idea of it. It has been stripped of some of the the context, and so I think mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the hard part about talking about it is it's just such easy shorthand for people being like, "Oh, you mean the time the internet, like Twitter, made Warner Brothers make a brand new movie or add two hours to a movie?" Yeah, um, and I'm like, "Well, no, not just that, but you know, like they 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 wanted to make a piece with this guy, like they, you know, it was kind of like a coming together of minds, and like, how do we?" negotiate and navigate this stuff that is as emotionally fraught for him as it is for the actors there's trauma here and maybe part mm -hmm. of making this movie was just healing for them and that's like yeah. you know a very generous take i know nothing of what it was actually like but i yeah. like to think that there's there's more to this than than just the studio cave to fans it, well, it also has to have kind of an effect on the people's perspective of his career in general, right? Uh, and it's it's just so fascinating too. Like he, I I do think that it's a, it's a good way to put you put it, Jordan is like the, or a, one of you the idea of like take trying to take his movies too seriously um, because when you go back and even watch this one, it's not that it's poorly made at all. Like that's kind of the the conceit that a lot of the reviews that were contemporary at the time said about it um, famously, like the Roger Ebert review comparing this movie to the original acknowledges how you know it's it's well-crafted and the acting is good and the directing is clearly good and the visual effects and, you know, the technical aspects of the movie are great and they're there. Um, it's just that they decided to make it an action movie rather than uh, make it, you know, a, a comedic commentary on, you know, American consumerism. Um, and I think it works that, for that, like, really, really well. And I think that also speaks to the success of it at the time, um, where for, you know, a $26 million, uh, buddy, a movie made on a $26 million budget, you know, it goes on to make over $100 million um, and handily makes its money back um opening it's uh you know when it gets into the theaters uh it's opening weekend uh, sits in first place and finally beats out um some movies that were it was competing with you know for a while uh, that that were really popular at the time um when dawn of the dead opens in 2004 uh it opens to 11 million dollars at the box office uh above uh the passion of the christ by mel gibson which was in second place in its fourth week um the other movies that were a out different this time, kind of zombie movie i was gonna say Whoa. the other movies that were out at this time also <laughs> yeah. cracked me up because this being 2004 is such an 
I know. What an interesting time capsule. Um, Third place in that era was Taking Lives uh, in its opening weekend, which uh, grossed about $4 million. Uh, In fourth place was Starsky and Hutch in its third weekend, uh, the 2004 Starsky and Hutch, uh, which had made $60 million up to that point. And then in fifth place, we have Secret Window, uh, which uh, was in its second Mm -hmm. week and had made $27 million up to that point. And of course... uh, as an honorable mention in sixth place, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind had opened um, that weekend as well uh, and made $2.6 million, which cracks me up thinking about going to the movie theater in that weekend and seeing any of these movies at, you know, in the same, at the same time. Um, it's, it's fascinating. And I think that this movie definitely served as kind of like an interesting guarantor of his career though. Like you said, it's like when you watch this guy put something like this together, it's like, all right, yeah, we can give that guy a hundred million dollars to go make a big budget, you know, uh, comic book movie. Um, he, has there? Like in a, he has an innate sense of pacing, blocking and camera work and editing mm-hmm. um, that helps. Like, mm-hmm. like I said, it's got like more of an action sensibility. Like he knows where to put people um, and how to cut it to make it feel more tense. How to like, like act, they always say like action scenes have like downbeats and upbeats. They're like mini scenes within the the actual dramatic dialogue. Yeah. Um, and so I think he has like a really good read at the at his like fundamental level, like for mm-hmm. better or worse. And so it's like this guy will make audience will get audiences into whatever he's working on, but he has to like advocate. He advocates for himself on all these different projects that he's then gone and done 300 you know remaking watchmen which was like kind of a kobayashi maru like an impossible task in a lot of ways um yeah. no, sucker punch yeah. he even like directed guardians of Gahul, which is an animated action owl movie um and <laughs> yeah. you know now he's he he architected i never seen a whole it. bunch of these is that good i haven't Daniel? seen it either i i haven't seen it either yeah. oh, okay <laughs> When it released, I was shocked. I was like, Zack Snyder, the guy did 300 Guardians <laughs> of Gahul? But, if I, yeah, if I had a takeaway from it, that I, at least from, like, as a film-adjacent person, filmmaking-adjacent person myself, and, like, would like to work on films and done a few shorts, but I was like, he, that was, like, almost a skill that I, I wish people would learn more of. It's just, like, not working yourself, not directing yourself right. in the corners. The, the, the script, I think the James Gunn script and Zack Snyder's, like, handed direction is just, like, they knew what this movie needed to do to do well and they didn't get caught up on anything else and there's like some stuff that i feel like they might have or like another director might have like been like well maybe this is really about the baby or it's really about the these themes like it has to be fun it has to be just as funny and pointed as the first one of being like no we know you well and and that's what's going to sell well and and it's going to be fun and and it's going to be a great film and I, i think they did that uh despite some i i almost felt like distractions that could have been there and that was cool yeah um that's dawn of the dead i really enjoyed this movie and i'm glad we had a chance to talk about it for our zombie series here um other than dawn of the dead have you guys watched anything uh lately that you either loved or you hated you want to go first uh daniel yeah i'll I'll give jordan like a second to kind of yeah (laughs) yeah check your check your letterbox account i always do that when he asks me um i came prepared i have a few thoughts um one, I was reading from my public library. Uh, I was recommended this horror manga, yeah. um, which a lot of horror fans are familiar with. He actually just got Junji Ito, um, has a series on Netflix now that is a collection of his short stories. And But reading it as a manga, like kind of a, a, a comic depiction of 
like graphic novel depiction of all these different little horror short stories was yeah like, truly, i have one over here i I, I, find it. I was like sipping coffee and like reading these and like shitting my pants yeah it was fucking like, dark this dude is, this is terrifying like whoever's yeah. whoever imagined this has a brain that i like i don't understand you i love it i love <laughs> reading things that just feel so strong um and so i recommend if you see that name on anything like if you're into horror i recommend junji ito he has a show on netflix you'll find it um but netflix tends to bury all of their like obscure programming this um, one i feel like was kind of featured i mean maybe it was just for me for my you know section of the algor- algorithm or whatever but it popped up on the front page of netflix for oh, me yeah. when it was first uh, well, released that's why i feel like i was getting it in the first place because yeah. you know but the algorithm was like oh this guy's <laughs> gonna love this show um and i haven't stuck with this, uh, this is my follow-up recommendation i haven't stuck with many of the anime that netflix produces mm. um i tried yeah. a few things uh, and I've I've been like waffling back and forth, but I actually finished one. I finished Cyberpunk Edge Runners recently, okay. which is very like it, it's very action packed. It's you know uh, intense. There's like it's like a fully R like nudity and sex and violence. It's just explosive like body parts flying all over the screen kind of stuff. Um, and Cyberpunk Edge Runners, you know, based off the game, is kind of like a story told in the world. And at first I was kind of on the fence, like, let's see if this pans out. And by the end of it, I was like, this was a really nice one-off. Like, I feel like I got, like, I feel like I, when you're playing a video game and you kind of read a side quest, or you read this, like, side story, it felt like kind of living it a little more thoroughly. And I really appreciated it in a lot of ways. It's, it's a little tragic, uh, but there's tons of, like, Snyder would love it. Like, I, I think he would, he would be super into this. Um, so I, I recommend, it's, it's, if you're an anime fan and you're watching on your computer at home or you're like home alone it's, it's just like anime nudity is always i'm always so uncomfortable i'm like I don't, <laughs> why do they have to do this but uh it's got that like neon soaked atmosphere in a like a like a cyberpunk like night city they're criminals and the world is run by a military corporation it's, it's just it's engaging um so when did this come out? It came out last year, actually. It was supposed okay, to be a big push because it came out a couple months after the game, but they botched the game release. So then it became like attached to something that was like deeply uncomfortable for gamers. Like gamers weren't playing Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven, um, or they were struggling with it. So they're not gonna watch the anime. Like it's just they they're just <laughs> not interested. But I've never played the game, so I went into the anime cold and and had a pretty good time. I think none of the characters in the anime are in the game. So it's like a little more like a single story told within this world. I liked it. Um, and my last one, which since we're talking about like end of the world, um, we've already discussed HBO's like flagship Last of Us. Um, but I will say this is no TV show has ever, for me personally, nailed the feeling of like how it would really feel to have the world end as Station Eleven. Hmm. Um, and i it was like one of the best tv shows i watched last year i love station 11 it's like it's not as preoccupied with like the end of the world as it is about like how does humanity live and rebuild you know there's only like maybe a a few episodes total that add up to like here's how society collapses um but there it's just this like gorgeous beautiful scene where uh like the art protagonist um goes to a grocery store he does the like he, he fills like seven carts worth of food but it's still being operated there's like a guy who's like you know this is the early like, the early moments of the end of the world and the guy's like uh that'll be seven thousand dollars 
And our protagonist is like, sure. And he like fumbles with his credit card, pays, because like, fuck it, who cares? And starts like wheeling his food out. And the 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 the, the lone cont- attendant at this gro- grocery store is like, is this related to the play? Like, kind of freaked out. <laughs> And that's exactly how I imagine learning about this stuff. It's like, you're just out in public and some guy has seven shopping carts worth of food. Like, that is, a, you're like, okay, something's happening. Like, no one does that unless it's the actual end of the world. It's like walking down the street and it. seeing somebody run from around the corner like they're escaping something. Yeah, and he kind of looks at the attendant and he's like, you need to go home and see your family. And yeah. the, that's what really shakes him to his core. It's not like, like, you know, there's not flames, like airplanes are crashing and people are screaming. It's that like heart to heart moment where a stranger is like, "Wait, like, do not stay here. It, this is a yeah. meaningless job. You stay here. You'll have wasted the last couple minutes of your life." Um, and Station Eleven does such a great job of capturing human emotion that I thought I was like, "Man, this is like, this is really how how the world would end and how it would feel afterwards." And I thought it was just it was like a chef's kiss. I was like, "This is fantastic writing. I loved it top to bottom. So artful, inspiring, scary." horrific there's so much to it and david cross is in it like he gets a great role <laughs> so i i can't recommend enough hell yeah so uh junji cyberpunk and Edge runners and station 11 jordan you got anything you've seen lately that you loved or hated sure i got a few queued up but i will say i, I really want to watch station 11 uh I, i've seen it rec- well, i've seen it recommended a lot of people saying if you like that episode three of last of us you should watch station 11 specifically um and actually, the family I was, I was this house for this little snowstorm. So the family we were staying with, they were watching that. So I watched nice. a little bit there too, and I've seen bits of it. Um, but here I got a couple. So with my girlfriend who just showed up, we've been working through the Oscar oh, nice. films, uh, and just about caught up. Um, so did Tar the other night was the most recent one, and really fucking loved it. And it's like chaotic character study, sense of humor. But it's also like a horror film, like later and at times. Uh, and it was more, it was like probably one of the funnier movies I've seen this year. And I don't think it's being talked about as like, it's because it's not a comedy, but like Kate Blanchett's character is one of my favorite characters I've seen in a long time. Um, but from an ultimate action movie <laughs> perspective, the last like, big one I wrote, or I'm working on an article about it, but The Watch was Strange Days just released on HBO Max from, it's like 1995, Catherine Bigelow. Uh, just like peak from her 90s era, like around Point Break. Uh, but yeah, it stars Ralph Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, and Tom Sizemore. And it's like this, it's not Matrix, but like they kind of like go into like uh, cyberpunk, like dream reality stuff. And then it's like all set around this like New Year's Eve party thing. And uh, it was just a movie of that caliber that just, I think, I don't know the whole story, but it, it like, it wasn't out there digitally for a long time or physical media. So a lot of people had never seen it like myself and to watch that for the first time at like in my thirties, having seen a lot of other Catherine Bigelow stuff and a lot of other nineties movies and be like, Oh, a new one with like a list people uh, at their height. Um, it just was a really enjoyable experience to watch that start to finish. And I highly oh, yeah. recommend it. Uh, I haven't watched that much lately. I was rewatching. Um, I rewatched Invincible on Amazon Prime just because, like, I hadn't watched that since it came out, and I just forgot how well written that show is. Uh, I'm really excited for them to come out with more episodes of that later this year. Um, also, just also a, cre- a Robert Kirkman comic. It's, it's <laughs> the same guy who created Walking Dead. 
yeah and amazing like and also just a fucking crazy voice cast too they have so many awesome people in there um just doing amazing performances for for no goddamn reason for this little animated cartoon um i watched uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with nate Bergatz. he's a, a comedian uh who has a new stand-up special out right now uh on amazon that's actually pretty good um he's like this uh he kind of does like you know like southern culture and stuff and he has like a, a somewhat clean style that is actually pretty funny um he has a it seems like his biggest special yet and i had that on in the background the other day and it was actually like i enjoyed that a whole lot um and i rewatched intolerable cruelty again recently too uh that was like one of the few like coen brothers movies that like i don't rewatch like regularly um but i forgot how freaking like that to me is Catherine zeta jones at her most like amazing it's i don't know like between her and george clooney and that movie doing all the crazy backflips that they do uh with matrimonial law it's a uh, i don't know that that movie is is peak coen brothers for me it's definitely worked its way back up in their filmography for me uh, as far as rankings go um more so than i was expecting um yeah that's that's pretty much all i've been watching recently um so this week we watched uh, Dawn of the Dead for our zombie series. Uh, we've covered a couple here up to this point by the time this episode will come out. Um, so next week, uh, I think, Daniel, you might know what's on the list for next week uh, that comes after Dawn of the Dead in the watch list. Do you know what it is? Is it 28 Days Later? It's 28 Days Later. Uh, oh my god, I got it. <laughs> that never happens. I know. So we're kind of like staying, we're in the same era here uh, of the early 2000s, but we're going to go back uh, a year and do Danny Boyle, Killian Murphy. Um, Chris Freckleson's in there randomly, but we're going to cover 28 Days Later and uh, the amazing effect that it had on the uh, the zombie subgenre. Um, I, I, I'm very affectionate towards that movie. I love 28 Days Later, so I'm really excited to watch it again and uh, talk about it some more here. Um, yeah, I want to thank you, Jordan. Man, thanks for hanging out with us and uh, talking with us about uh, Dawn of the Dead this week. I've been, we've been trying to get you on for quite a while now, uh, and I'm glad we got the opportunity to do one here. Um, but we'll definitely have you on again in the future because uh, I love talking to you about movies. It's a, it's a pleasure. Um, do you want to what, – how can people find Ultimate Action Movies? Uh, what's the, the full URL for the website? Uh, ultimateactionmovies.com uh and just open action movie club on instagram twitter and facebook awesome uh this uh podcast has a patreon if you go to patreon.com slash scary sunday scaries you can support the podcast and get early access to these episodes and join in on community posts with all the other hosts and me uh we're gonna be starting a we have a discord server actually that exists now and if you want to link to that you can email at scary sunday scary or scary sunday scaries at gmail.com um also if you want to find us on social media our name on everything is scary sunday scaries um if you want to follow me personally i'm at trav the guy if you want to follow me, I'm at DG underscore Pappas, P-A-P-P-A-S. And if you want to follow Jordan, I don't know if you want to, do you want to give people your, your personal Instagram handle? Sure. I'm, well, I'm not sure what, I think it's just Jordan Alder. <laughs> <laughs> follow the Action Movie Club. I post in there too, but uh, also want to say thanks for having me on. This was really fun, guys. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us, Jordan. Uh, and thank you guys for listening and come back next week and listen to us talk about 28 Days Later. It'll be really fun. Dieter for you. Sunday Scaries. He has forced me to do a Zack Snyder movie, and I enjoyed it. I love how you like your love for it changed as you started talking about it. You're like, <laughs> wait a minute, I actually like this. <laughs>